Hi, Ben Comedy here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. So this week, we're going to be drawing attention to the vast majority of Australian workers who are not members of trade unions, who work or have worked in industries without proper union organisation. In Australia and around the world, we are at the tail end of a historical period marked by a long and slow decline in workers' rights and living standards. A report by the Foundation for Young Australians last year found that today's youngest generation of workers are likely to be the first in modern history to have lower living standards than their parents' generation. The report found that young people today are 3.5 times more likely than their parents to be in part-time or casual work. They are 3.5 times more likely to be underemployed and on average will pay 2.7 times what their parents did for a home if they can ever afford one at all. There have been some significant and mighty offensive and defensive battles fought by working class people around the globe recently, including in the USA, Iceland, South Africa, Brazil, Chile, Nigeria, and many more. But by and large, these successful examples are the exception to the rule. According to the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, or the OECD, the future for global capitalism until 2060 will be, sorry, 2060 will be plagued by economic stagnation and a 30% increase in inequality. So Sweden, which has had better than average living standards than most nations in recent history, will by 2060 be likely to have levels of inequality now seen across the USA, and that will be the top end of the living standards around the world. So without a sharp turnaround in the fortunes of the global workers' movement, the outlook for the future working class seems quite bleak. That's definitely true, and it's quite pessimistic. And you have this like pessimistic outlook on stuff because it's it's kind of hard to figure out how you'll get ahead or how you'll even fit into this like society ideal of what is it like they kind of sell you this idea of what's expected of you, but then they've made it really hard now to achieve that. Like it's almost impossible to buy a home, and it's hard to do well. Even trying to get a job, it's you know, like. There's so much competition going around that it's not just like you go and drop off your resume and they're really happy to see you. Like there's a lot of other people competing for the same job and I think it also makes older generations seem less sympathetic because they don't understand what it's like that we're going through. Definitely. um, Very intimidated actually by the idea of that, um, seeming I've only ever been in part-time or casual work, which I'm in currently. Um, I've many a time fought for full-time positions, but I know I've known many employers that refuse to sign off on any future full-time positions. They will not offer the contract, no matter how much you work or even how much it would save them money. They just won't offer it. so I can completely believe that, completely, very much so worried by it as well. You're listening to Stick Together. Speaking then were Brad and before him, Maddie, two young Australian workers. Maddie is in her 20s and from Melbourne. The daughter of two public servants, she's worked a variety of jobs in hospitality and the finance sector. 
So I guess I've just really worked in hospitality um, mainly. Um, like I started working at a noodle shop um, when I was 16 and then I just worked in hospitality until I finished my uni degree and then I started working in call centres um, and now I'm back in hospitality now that I'm back at uni. Brad is in his early 20s, the son of a nurse and a warehouse storeman. Brad grew up in regional Queensland and Sunbury. He works full-time hours in a pathology call centre, but remains a casual employee. He is not and has never been a union member. So pretty much I work in the home visits department for Dorovich Pathology. Um, I do all the shit. I've worked all shifts there where um, pretty much I answer the phone, I organise nurses' runs for the day, um, and also I do a lot of paperwork entering um, on overnights. I'll organise couriers, so for bloods to get picked up from hospitals to go to the labs and also organise um, patients to get seen at hospitals overnight. Um, I talk a lot to doctors as well. I uh, have to hand out re- patients' results and... Uh, yeah, just pretty much makes sure that as many people get seen out in the public each day. When asked, Brad admitted that he was not sure if his parents had been union members. Like many parents of their generation, they saw a university education as a way for their children to get ahead. Neither of my parents went to university, so they kind of did try to push that onto both me and my brother. But um, neither of us really took that, so... They pretty much just tried to line us up with opportunities, but pretty much all they would do was get get us a foot in the door, and then they would pretty much yeah just completely relied on us. So Brad hopes to study at university, but finds himself forced into working before being able to do this. In a couple of years, I do want to go to university and study animation, but um, more so, I need to work a lot beforehand so I can find myself in the position to do so, um, so I can have the equipment to study animation and also pretty much be able to save a bit of money so if anything happens, I have something to fall back on. Maddie's parents wanted her to be happy and pursue her interests. As a result, she has already completed one degree at uni, but found that this did not lead to better job outcomes. I guess they always just wanted me to just do whatever I enjoyed Um, But I did feel like when I finished uni, uh, my science degree, and I didn't know what to do, then they kind of just pushed me into what they knew, which was just call centre work and, you know, kind of administration. They weren't really expecting me to go back to uni or get anything else. They just kind of pushed me into what they were doing because that's what they know. After entering the same line of work as her mother... Maddie found that her access to opportunities that were afforded to her mother's generation had diminished. Yeah, I just felt like, too, where I was working, it there just wasn't a lot of opportunities to kind of move up through the system um, where I guess my mum had had those opportunities and so her she kind of got like a better outcome from working at a call centre where I was just kind of stuck at the bottom of the rut for a really long time. Maddie therefore decided to return to a more vocational university degree. She found that her parents did not fully approve. I think they just thought too that I already had a degree, so 
I've already reached that benchmark and that they didn't really understand why I'd want to do another one. Um, I guess, too, I was the first person in my family to get one. Um, but they didn't, yeah, they didn't really see the point and they didn't see the point of me getting more debt and being really poor for another four years. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. This week on Stick Together, we've been talking with Brad and Maddie, two young workers, uh, about their experience of work without union representation. The fact that both Brad and Maddie are currently not members of their unions at work makes them exemplary of the majority of workers, and young workers in particular. It's estimated that only 8% of workers below the age of 25 in Australia today are union members. While they may not be members of unions, this does not mean they are hostile to unions. Maddie has been a member of a union in the past, but it didn't seem to make much difference. I don't feel like it did, but yeah, I kind of wanted it to, but I don't know. I also wasn't sure what I could get out of them either, so I never really like seeked them out. Looking forward to a career as a midwife after graduating, Maddie expresses a strong appreciation for the nurses' union. And because I'm going to be going into the health sector um, with, like, the nurses' union, um, I feel like they have a really strong voice in society um, and that a lot of what they stand for is really clear and they, I don't know, and that people really, they sympathise with them a lot Um Similar to, I guess, like teachers and stuff that that these are types of jobs where people don't get paid as much as... Like there is a lot of level of inequality in those jobs. And so I really support them in trying to, to stop that. Brad may not be a union member and never has been, but he's definitely open to the idea. He does have reservations, though, partly from what he's gleaned from peers and partly from media representation. I guess it's it really at this point um I don't really know what it entails but it's more so if I were to join a union it's not going to take long to for me to get an opinion on them whether or not they can help or whether or not they just kind of sit by and in idle so I figure they are good um I can understand how they can help situations but I've heard many a story of how they don't kind of mainly I guess the worst things that I've heard would be from the news uh from you know the big union bosses claiming money for themselves but that's pretty much yeah that's just pretty much what I hear on the news so I don't know how much I can like how much I would expect that would happen where Brad works at Dorovich Pathology, there have been occasions where workers have talked about forming a union. Even with um, Dorovich at the moment, um, a lot of the staff have considered union, unionising, but um, I know that it's kind of just a whisper in the background. No one really has brought it up as a big discussion. For Brad's workmates, a fair say in how the workplace is run seems to be one of the issues that spurs on discussions of unionising. Mainly um, the gap between um, those who are 
doing the uh, mainstream work and to the management. There's such a big gap there that they see what they want to see and they, when we come across a problem, they kind of just say the pretty much like the biggest excuse where it doesn't actually offer any assistance and it doesn't fix any problems. So everyone's getting very stressed with nothing getting solved. When she worked in a bank call centre, Maddie was a member of the financial sector union. Years later, this is how she recalls that experience. I remember them doing something, but I don't remember what it was. Um, and I think, too, that they they weren't really like the work... Like, when I worked at the bank, they had a lot of structures in place to make sure that people were really happy all the time and there was a lot of structure and, I don't know, it made it... The union didn't really do much. Maddie, like many young people today, feels that success is a lot harder to achieve than it might have been for her parents. I think there's a lot more expectations on us as well um, than there might have been for our parents. Like, they had a lot more opportunities and choices and I guess, like, my parents weren't ever expected to go to uni or even really finish school, Um, but I'm expected to finish uni and do all this extra stuff and I think, yeah, they're just the goalposts have changed when... I don't think it's realistic that we can achieve those, I guess. Yeah, I also think, like, everyone these days has a degree and it's it's very hard to live in a society where that's kind of the expectation is that you have one and that, you know, because it's very hard to get one and I don't think that it's necessary that everyone does have one. I asked Brad if, in his experience, he felt that the union movement in Australia was doing much to tackle rising inequality, the rising cost of living, and the increasing difficulty of finding secure work. Well, I guess no, not at all. Um, At least not at my workplace. I've never actually... um, I don't even really see anything posted in regards to the union, like... I have done in the past, but nothing's, no representative, no one trying to pull in supporters. Um, Yeah, it really sounds like something that really does need to be tackled, and I might, I most likely will probably actually reach out to see if I can hope for a little bit of change within the workplace that I'm currently in. With so much negative media coverage of the trade union movement today, I was interested about what impact this might have on young people who are not union members. I asked Brad and Maddie to tell me what their perceptions were of two unions. The CFMEU, which is frequently demonised by corporate media for militancy in fighting for their members' rights, and the HSU, which had been corrupted by careerists who were rorting members' money. Maddie's thoughts on the HSU. Um, I'd read a little bit on that actually um and I wasn't really sure what had happened but they did seem to have like a lot of corruption and and stuff for the people that were really high up in the health sector union I guess and that they I kind of got from it that there was this expectation that they were all what is it like smuggling money laundering or they're all yeah stealing money from everyone um rotting 
rotting. Yeah, <laughs> um, that they were all kind of doing that. So I'm not sure what that means, I guess, because, yeah, like I think it's good that this kind of corruption and stuff is being exposed, but I'm not sure if it's the union's fault or if it's just the kind of people that work there. Brad mistakes the HSU for the Ambos Union. This would also regard, um, is it the ambulance drivers being very underpaid? And I remember seeing a lot of, I assume that they'd be in the same field. Um, I have seen a lot of um, ambulances covered in pretty much the writing, explaining their situation in a form of protest of, we need help. But um, it, it kind of raises concern if that, like, ambulances are, well, ambulance drivers are very much so required. And um, if they kind of are being ignored, then kind of worries me of what other fields kind of go unnoticed. And Brad's perception of the CFMEU. I do remember hearing something in regards to the Emporium, but, um, yeah, and uh, been a bit shy to the news, I guess. Like, it's been a while since I've actually viewed any... Um, Anything in regards to unions, it's... And finally, Maddie's perception of the CFMEU. Well, I feel like, like, from what... I don't really know a lot about them, um, but you do, like, see them on TV and stuff a lot. Um, So they just seem to be, like, a big bunch of guys. Um, And I feel like they're always kind of portrayed as these thugs, but I I don't know how much I believe that. Maddie definitely feels hopeful that unions can play a role in fighting for a better future or a fairer future, but seems unsure about what that role might entail. Um, I'm not sure what their role would be in it, but I do think that that's an avenue that could help um, towards it because I don't think that there should be such inequality. Like I don't understand why people that, run the top of companies and so much greater than the people that are at the bottom. So I think it would help in regards to inequality and try to level off, um, you know, bridge that gap. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together. On Community Radio. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of Stick Together, but first an interview with a young hospitality worker, Kathleen Galea. Her and her co workers recently began negotiating a new enterprise bargaining agreement. Though Kat was a union member from the word go, she was entirely alone initially, and she found that the union bureaucracy was not completely warm to the idea of organising her workplace. Despite these setbacks, her and her workmates have been able to make some gains in this recent campaign. Yeah, so start just by telling me a bit about where you work, because you've been playing a, a leading role in uh, the negotiations for a new agreement there. So what have been sort of the main things you've been fighting for? Uh, well, just in general terms, I work in the hospitality industry, and it's a pretty uh, 
non-unionized industry due to a lot of factors. Uh, so when it came time to renew our enterprise bargaining agreement, a lot of people didn't even know what an enterprise bargaining agreement was, uh, what the difference between that and the award was, and what we could actually do to have some say and impact in uh, our new wages and conditions, basically. So it was starting from basics really about uh, what an enterprise bargaining agreement is, uh, what control we have and what say we have over our conditions in the workplace. What would have been some of the concrete issues, things that you've specifically been trying to get in the agreement? So it was a bit of a defensive uh, negotiations because, well, there wasn't any union representation to start with. I was the only union member at the start of the negotiations. I've since convinced other people to join the union so that we can use their resources uh, because that's what unions are there for. And, uh, yeah, it was quite uh, defensive because our company was coming in trying to direct us when to take our annual leave despite the fact they already had one clause that allows them to do that. They were trying to reduce the amount of sick days we could take without medical certificates. Uh, They wanted us to not be paid penalty rates for additional public holidays, like the grand final public holiday that got introduced. And uh, they didn't want to give us guaranteed pay increases in the agreement, which when I read through it, I realised that we didn't have. So we kind of had to... We felt like we were defending a lot of our conditions and it wasn't really much of an offensive. We managed to put through a few offensive things, as in reducing the amount of days in a row we have to work. It was previously at 10. We've got it down to 9, which is a small victory. And we also managed to get the guaranteed pay increases as well. Yeah, Okay. so you didn't have representation from the union at first. You were the only union member. And I understand at one point, like, you kind of asked the union to actually negotiate the enterprise agreement for you guys and they sort of turned you down or something what actually happened there and you say people have joined since so how's that sort of played out well the union were happy to kind of assist me in looking over documents but uh when i asked if they could be our bargaining representatives which is how it usually works uh in eba negotiations they kind of balked at the idea because uh there weren't enough people in the union and i said well this is a great opportunity you know we can go and we can unionize this particular company and that'll be a great start for unionizing you know the rest of the hospitality industry this would be a really great example that we can show people um but unfortunately due to some of the the failings in unions these days they weren't particularly interested I guess they've got some other campaigns that they would rather focus on so it was good in that I personally got support from the union they did help me and gave me um, some great advice but it would have been better if they could have done the actual negotiating because that's what they do instead of us having to do the negotiating directly with our bosses on top of our normal workloads which is just a really bizarre situation. Um, what difference would it have made if the union officialdom had actually put more resources into the campaign and actually maybe led a recruitment drive, etc.? Uh, I think it definitely would have been better. I think negotiations could have been stronger. I think we could have had more success in getting higher pay increases because some of the things that I put forward uh, were kind of shot down by people's lack of understanding of how negotiations work and that type of thing. And so basically I was having to have arguments within the consultative committee, which is how we were negotiating with the bosses of the company. Um, And it would have really been like um, a step above so we wouldn't have had to be at that basic level because um, there wouldn't have been 
any of this because the the people you know that are doing these negotiations the ceo the acting ceo all these types of people they've got lawyers and the employers federation helping them and they're devoting all their time and resources to it whereas we were coming off eight hour shifts straight onto a uh, conference call you know with like 15 people across the country and it was very difficult especially not really understanding some of the things that they were saying and all the the jargon and how things actually work and so a lot of time i think was wasted and we were kind kind of um, demoralised and lost a lot of energy just because we didn't really uh, know what we were we were doing, whereas if we'd had the union doing it, they would have been able to explain things and explain what was possible. And um, when I spoke to the union in other unionised uh, workplaces in Melbourne, they managed to get a lot better agreements than we got. Uh, but considering the forces we're up against, we got an OK agreement in the end, but we could have got a better agreement with better conditions and pays for our staff if uh, the union had been our bargaining representatives. So how did you sort of handle the question of union membership in this process, like with talking to your workmates? Like you're trying to convince your workmates to push for stuff, to defend conditions, um, but you've got a union that's been reluctant to um, take to be on the front foot, I guess, in that regards. <clears throat> so how did, did it make it more difficult to try to talk to people about joining the union and convincing them that the union's the way to go? Yeah, I think so. I think there's, you know, it's kind of there's two two issues that I was dealing with it was um the issue of trying to convince people of what a union is and what the benefit of being in a union is what the point of it is and what you can achieve when you're in a union when you know you organize collectively and everyone's got a sense of togetherness and you're not alone and you really do feel a sense of power and that you can affect change in your workplace and you can kind of dictate your conditions more Uh, But then on the other hand, because the union leadership is so weak these days and the failings of them in the last 30 years, there's nothing, there's no real great examples to to point people towards as well so it's kind of like yeah we should join the union that this will be great you know we can do this and that but then my workmates are saying yeah but I don't really I've never seen a union do this or that for me and they kind of treat it more like an insurance policy so it's kind of convincing them that if we join the union then we can you know change it from below that type of thing it's not the unions aren't going to change unless we get involved and become part of that process so it was quite difficult but I did manage to convince quite a few of my workmates in uh, my workplace to join and at the end of our negotiations I've managed to convince uh, the rest of the committee that next time we have negotiations that we will have union representation. And that was Kat Galea talking about negotiating an enterprise bargaining agreement in the hospitality industry without union representation. And that's all we have time for on this week's Stick Together. Thank you to our guests Kat, Maddie and Brad, and thank you for listening. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can also contact the producers of the show at stick.together at gmail.com or by calling 039419 8377. My name's Ben Convey. Catch you next time.